This is week two of our series in Colossians. Uh, Before we dive into that, though, you can go ahead and be turning your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 15. Uh, Before we do that, let's give a shout out to all of the graduates from Wills Point and Edgewood ISDs uh, that walked the stage this weekend. Yeah. And then also, let me just go ahead and take uh, just a few seconds and give a shout out to Edgewood uh, ISD and uh, their baseball team heading to the state tournament uh, this weekend or uh, this coming up week. And so be, be keeping an eye on them. I know that as a Tiger myself, I never thought that I would ever say anything uh, on stage, right, from Stone Point about the Bulldogs, right? Uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, they're playing really good baseball, and uh, it's an exciting thing for the community of Edgewood, and uh, I encourage you to be keeping an eye on them on Wednesday and hopefully again on Thursday because uh, uh, they're, they're doing some awesome things. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verse 15, and let me kind of give you a recap. If you're a first-time guest, I want to just echo what Pastor Archie said earlier. We're grateful that you're here, and uh, one of the things that uh, we encourage you to do as a first-time guest, as he mentioned, is kind of hold on to that, and our resource center is out in the foyer, and uh, if you would just take that to one of our volunteers there, they want to bless you guys with a free gift, and so I encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, but in in uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, last week we saw Paul was riding to this church in the city of Colossae. Now Colossae is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Uh, it's a town off the beaten path. It had its heyday uh, about 600 years earlier, uh, but since then it's kind of declined. It's off the beaten path, but he's riding to them and he is say- simply saying, look, we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Epaphras, a guy in which we've invested in, has told us about you. We hear the things that you're you're doing for God, but there are also some things that we need to address. And here were the things that were the common problems in the city of Colossae, and in particularly the church in, uh, of the Colossians. It was this. You had a group of a small sect of people that were practicing Judaism. They were still Jewish people. They had heard about Jesus. Even some had put their faith in the person and the work of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice of the cross. But they felt like that sacrifice was important, uh, that circumcision was still important, that legalistic ideas, washing externally was still important. And so they kind of believed that Jesus is good, but... We need to make sure that we continue to do this, 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 and this. And they had some legalism entrenched into the culture. You had a whole nother group of people who uh, they believed in higher thought, that Jesus was simply a part of uh, uh, an angelic realm, that he was a created being. And yes, God uh, had in some ways used him, but it wasn't the God of creation, the God of the Bible. They had this idea of a higher thought called gnosis. We know it now as Gnosticism. And Paul was really addressing this one thing, that it's really Jesus Christ and he is chief supreme, He is not created that to look on Jesus is to see God and that he is, what, divine and that he is the deity of God. And they really were struggling with that in the the area in the province of Phrygia, but in particular this community in that area in Colossae. And so Paul is going to address that. He says, salvation is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And then he says, why is it found in Jesus Christ? And he's going to begin diving in that. And he says, it's because Jesus Christ is chief supreme, meaning that he has authority of all things. And so he addresses that beginning right now. So look at verse 15, and we're going to dive in. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. 
And so the idea here is this, to see Jesus is to see God, is what Paul says. Now, I want you to know that Gnosticism does not teach that. And there was another guy that cropped up in the late 3rd century, early 4th century, and it was a guy named Arius. And matter of fact, we uh, know of the early church having a council of Nicaea. It was the Nicene Creed is what eventually came of it. But Arius went before this council, and this was Arius' thought. Arius did not believe that Jesus was God. He didn't believe that he was the same essence. And so to believe that he is the same stuff as God is homo as all, that he is the same stuff. Just as my children, Brady, Caleb, and Blakely, are the same stuff as me and my wife, Kelly, you look at him, you go, yeah, that's, that's his, that's for sure, you know. He said, no, Jesus is not the same stuff, but that he is homo usia, which is the similar substance, but that he's not God. And so the Council of Nicaea got together, and they were contemplating what Arius was saying. And they said, well, Arius, I get that, because Arius also believed that Jesus was a created being, that he hadn't always existed, and so he's not the same stuff as God, because he was a created point. So... In essence, Arius thought, just like the Gnostics thought, that Jesus had a beginning point, that he was either a part of the angelic realm or in some way he had some sort of divinity, but it wasn't with God. It was separate. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. And then the Council of Nicaea also came out with this. And this is what they, their findings were. This is what they share with Arius and a couple of other scholars. And this was it. To see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus and the work and the person of Jesus is to see God in all of his fullness. And is that what Paul says in verse 15? Yes. Matter of fact, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And the word image there, he uses a word in the Greek called akon. And the word akon is different than a word that you would find oftentimes in the New Testament. Matter of fact, akon is only used a handful of times in all of your New Testament. There's another word. word that's oftentimes found about the likeness of God, about the likeness of us to Christ, and about how God changed our life. And it's this word, homo homoamoya. And the homo homoamoya is found all throughout, but Paul chooses this word, acone, for a reason. Here's why. Because he says, to see the image of the invisible God, to see God in all of his fullness, is to see what? Jesus. Jesus is God. And he goes, that's what you and I need to grab a hold of. To see Jesus is to see God. He is what? The picture, the image, exact image, as if you're looking at a reflection in the mirror, as you're looking at a a coin. He is the image of God, and he is the image of the invisible God. You go, why do you use the invisible God? And here's why. Do you remember? Even Jesus says that I am who I am, and he quotes Moses. And he does that in John, and, but he's quoting Moses and when Moses said, hey, who do I tell the people that you are? And what did God say? You tell them I am who I am, meaning I cannot be seen and I cannot be understood. And so in that way, he's invisible, meaning you and I, even though we try to discover God, we fall way short, right? And so we have an eternity to figure out who God is, see all of his characteristics. But what, what uh, Paul is simply saying is this. You may be confused about God. You may not be able to see God in all of his fullness. You may not uh, understand him completely. But if you want to see God, look to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And you go, well, is that something that just Paul claimed? Is that something new? No. Jesus said that. In John 10.30, he says, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 14, verse 9, if you remember, he says to Philip, to see what? God is to see me. He goes, I am he. 
And so Jesus made that claim. Here in verse 15, Paul makes that claim. And then he goes on and he says, He is not only the image of the invisible God, what? He is the firstborn of all creation. Now listen to this. The Gnostics thought that Jesus was created, right? Arius thought that Jesus was created. And then you hear Paul go, well, he's the firstborn of all creation. Wait a second. What does that mean? I thought that Jesus wasn't created. And so if Jesus wasn't created and he's always been, he existed outside of space and time, then why in the world does Paul say, oh, he's the firstborn of all creation? Well, let me ask you a question. Why does Paul say in verse 18 that he's the firstborn among the dead? Because Jesus wasn't the very first one that ever rose, right? Lazarus rose before him. Jairus' daughter rose before him. And so, like, why does he say that? It's a title. And here's what I want you to understand. It's the same title that you hear in Psalm. Listen to this about David that God says about him in Psalm 89, 27. God refers to David and says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And he uses this word when he says about Jesus, the firstborn, a word called prototokos, which simply means it's a title. He uses a title and says, I believe that Jesus is the picture of the invisible God. He's the firstborn. It's a title. It's a decree saying he is chief among all of creation. He's not saying that he was the first created being ever. He's saying, no, he was before all things. He was before everything ever came to be. He is the prototokos of all things. And it's a title just as God gave, what, David the title of the firstborn among the kings. Now, he wasn't the first king. Matter of fact, even if you're talking of Israel, Saul was the first king of Israel. So what was he saying? He goes, to look at David, you see that David was supreme in Israel. If you look at Israel's heyday, you're not going to go back to King Asa. You're not going to go back to King Saul. You're not even going to go back to Solomon. You're going to go back to David. He was chief supreme in Israel. He was the firstborn of the kings, meaning that he had a title. He had a splendor that no other king in Israel ever had. And Paul says, to look at Jesus is to see the, what? the image of the invisible God, and you see that he is the title deed of all things. He is before all things. And how do I know that? Because of what happens in verse 16. But let me explain something to you. Those who have Gnostic thoughts, um, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, etc., they're all going to cling to that one little piece of Scripture right there, and they're going to say, well, wait, wait a second. You put Jesus as chief supreme, but even Paul himself said that he was the firstborn among creation. And you need to know, no, 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 no. It's a title. It's prototokos. It is a title. He is not saying that he was born like you and I were born. And because if that was what he was saying, then he would not say what he's about to say in verse 16 and following. Look what he says in verse 16. For in him all things were created. In who? Jesus. He says he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And in all things he, what, were created through him. And you go, well, all things, like, okay, like, Brandon, like, you really believe that Jesus Christ created all things through Jesus? I thought that Jesus just died on the cross. Like, isn't that the significant role? Like, you thought, and you grew up in churches, and, and you never really heard it taught, and you thought, okay, okay, creation, you had six days of creation, God spoke all things into existence, and then one day, Jesus comes along, and whether he was created, or whether he existed for all time, Jesus had this one role, and that was to die on the cross for your sins. And that's what's been taught. But Paul says, no, 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 back up. He says, back up. Go before that. And here's what he says. He says, no, to see 
God is to see Jesus. Jesus has always been and always will be. Is that not what is said in John chapter 1, verse 1 and following through verse 3? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then listen to what it says. It goes on. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is the creator of all things. And so the way you need to look at it is this. The Father, God, is the architect. He is the master planner. And Jesus is the builder. He's the one that put everything in motion. And so when creation was set, it was through the work of Jesus Christ. And you go, well, why? Like, why did he do that? Because he created all things. You go, all things? All things. Can y'all say, all things? And then he answers it. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, and all things have been created through him and for him. All things were created by Jesus. And you go, well, why is that so? I thought God created everything. And I thought Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Well, why is that? Why did Jesus create all things? Here's why. Because if you're going to have a recreator of the human heart, if you're going to have a recreator of all things that have gone wrong, then the only person that recreates is the person who could, re- or could create in the first place. You got me? Listen to me. If God's going to take everything in humanity, everything in the world that has fallen, then how in the world does he have the power to reconcile all things to himself? He has to do it through the creator. And so if you're a creator, then it means, then recreation's nothing for you, right? Like you look and you marvel at John 2, Jesus t- turning water into wine. Listen, let me explain something to you. That wasn't difficult for him. Why? Because he created the water in the first place. And so he was just simply showing people that I am the recreator because I was the creator in the first place. And so let me just take 10 seconds to just encourage you in something. God's God at all. If he could create everything in the first place, then he has no problem recreating something that's broken. Like, that's good news, my friends. Like, this is good news. So everything that's messed up, jacked up in your life, everything that seems broken, every relationship, your job, your workplace, the crummy boss that you don't like, and even the boss that doesn't like you, God's got it all. And he has no problem arranging, fixing, moving, shaping, working in someone's life. He has no problem recreating something because he's the creator in the first place. And so you look and you go, what did he create? All things, everything, visible, invisible. The angelic realm worships him. Why? Because he created it. You and I will worship him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord on heaven in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. Why? Because he, he owns it all. He created it all. Got me? Jesus is supreme. He is not simply an angel. He's not something uh, that God created simply for the plan of redemption. He has always been. Genesis 1.26 supports it. John supports it. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews supports it. Listen to verse one or chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1. Do you remember Jesus saying it of himself? He said, truly, I, tru- truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, I'm before even that. 
John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and he was born six months earlier. But listen to what John the Baptist says. I love this. In John chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist bore witness about him, meaning Jesus. And he points to him as they're asking who the Messiah is. And he goes, hey, that's him. That's the one I said of. And he says, he who comes after me ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. Did you hear that? John the Baptist goes, yeah, I'm older than him, but he ranks before me. He's higher than me because he's actually before me. Meaning, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, believed that he was God, that he was the creator, and that he was what? Before him. That's pretty spectacular. Got me? And so Jesus said, I am God. He says, to see me is to see the Father. I am one with the Father. John proclaimed it. John the Baptist proclaimed it. Paul proclaimed it. And even the writer of Hebrews proclaimed it. What did they all say? They said, he is the creator of all things, and in him what? Everything even holds together. Look what Paul continues to do. In verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You got me? And so like, today you got up, and you didn't think anything about it, because our earth is continuing on the orbit, and it orbited just in front of the sun, so that you believe that the sun rose today. And guess what? You're going to see it go down in the west this evening because of the earth and its orbit. And you're not going to think anything about it, although we're going at speeds right now that you and I couldn't even comprehend. And guess what? The, the, the moon is going to come up in our thoughts and the stars are going to shine and you and I are going to go to bed as if it's just another day. And right now what you and I need to know is this, is that Jesus holds it all together. Like the reason that you believe the sun rose and it will set, the reason that you believe that the sun and the moon right now don't shine but it will tonight is because he holds it all together. And if he were to slumber, then it would all just crumble and fall apart. Why? Because not only is he the creator of all things, but he was before all things and he holds them all together right now. Everything. He holds it all together. And so even the things that you and I and our finite minds that we cannot understand, Jesus has in the palm of his hand, literally. You got me? He has the whole world in his hands. And so parents, keep teaching your kids that because Paul says he does indeed have the whole world in his hands and he holds it all together and he has no problem with any of this because he is chief supreme. He is our hope. He is our refuge. He is what takes all things that are broken and restores them and gives us what? Right relationship with God. Not because of us, but because of him. And then get this. He goes on and he says, not only is he chief supreme, not only is he the creator of all things, he's the recreator of all things. He holds all things together in his hands. And then look what this. He goes, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And so that everything that what? He might have what? The supremacy. So in all things, he is in charge. And so do you see what this is? He goes, not only does he want a relationship with you, but he wants to use you, the church, as he's the head over all of it. Like, that's amazing to me. Now, and I want to just clarify, and, and I want you to hear me in this. You and I, being redeemed people, meaning we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're called the church. And what he wants to do is he wants to use us for his ultimate plan for what? Salvation and for all of the end times. He wants to use us. And he has literally invited us into his story. Got me? But he is the head over it all. Got me? Yes? And that means that you, my friend, might be a, a, what, a knee, a toe. You might be 
uh, an arm, you might be a finger. And, and we're encouraging you all the time at Stone Point to move forward in your faith. We want you to get connected to community. We call those journey groups. We want you to serve. And sometimes, like you hear us saying that, you're like, I just want them to quit hounding me, you know? And the reason we keep doing that is not for our own benefit. It's so that you are a part of God's master plan. You are the church. Do you understand this? And so like, yes, you may think that you don't have a lot to offer, but God says, no, no, no. As a redeemed child, you have much to offer. And yes, you are a toe and you are a finger or you are an elbow or you are an eye or you are a nose. But there is a part of the body that you and I all need together to survive and ultimately to what? Move forward in because that's what God wants us to do. Got me? And so that's why we keep encouraging, hey, move forward. Move forward in your faith. That's why we hold you accountable. And that's why many of you, you're like, I, you don't want us continue to continue, continue, continue to press on. But we do that because we are best when all parts of the body are functioning. Got it? Yes? Yes? But I want you to hear something else. We do not need everybody to function. That means, like, let me just tell you, if we miss a toe, we might limp along, but God's got this because he's the head of the body. Got me? Like, we might miss an elbow, like, you know, we might lose an elbow and the rest of our arm, but, hey, we got it. We can survive. Like, we may be missing a finger, but, listen, we can, we can make it go. Like, we can still function and move. If you don't believe me, ask Dick Patterson, okay? He's missing a finger just for y'all that don't know, Okay? But listen, if you are missing the head, you're doomed. You understand? If Christ is not chief supreme, if he is not in his proper place, we are in trouble. Got me? And so the ideal thing about the church and what Christ says is simply this. Through Paul, he says, I am the creator of all things. All things, invisible, visible. I hold all things together in my hand. I am the head of the body, which is the church. And he wants us to all function together well. But listen, we need him more than we need anything else. Because without him, everything about the church crumbles. Just the same, without him, everything about the world falls in and crumbles. He is that supreme. He is the vine. He is the great shepherd, right? We are his sheep and we hear his voice. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride, or in this case, he is the head of the body. And he is what? Chief supreme. Why? So that in everything he might have supremacy. And so here's the goal. Here's the idea. God was pleased to dwell in him with all of his fullness. Matter of fact, that's what he says. He goes on in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ. To dwell in him. And so here's what you and I need to understand. God was so pleased in Jesus Christ that he takes all of his fullness and he places it on him. And if you don't believe it, it's confirmed in Revelation chapter 5 when God literally hands Jesus the title to the earth as he comes back for his people to reconcile all things that have been broken. And so that's the idea of Jesus Christ. He is reconciling all things unto himself. Got me? Why? Because he's chief supreme. And he uses the word there, fullness. He uses this idea of pleroma. And here's what he does. He takes a shot at all the Gnostics. Because the Gnostics thought 
that in order to have good pleroma, all the aeons had to be in, char- in charge and in the rightful place. And the idea of an aeon is simply a little god. And so they believed that Jesus was actually an aeon or a little god, that he was a part of an angelic god rim, a sphere of higher thought. But Paul goes, no, 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 no. We don't believe that he's simply a created being. He's not just some angelic presence in which we worship. He's not some little God. We believe, and Paul says, I believe that he is the full pleroma. He is the picture of God. He is God. He is chief supreme. He is so much God that it pleasured the Father to dwell in all fullness in what? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. Got me? And then he goes... Because and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so what is he doing? He's reconciling all things. And so like you may not understand this, but this is where it gets really encouraging. You got me? You may not get this, but in this moment, right now, even as we sit here learning about God's word, he is reconciling all things unto himself. Like right now, all things are preparing to bow down. The trees are preparing to shout. The rocks are preparing to cry out. All things in heaven and earth, under the earth, will eventually cry out. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will recognize it. Everyone will see it. And right now, he is reconciling everything towards him. Creation is being reconciled. The spiritual rim, angels will rejoice. Some of which, death, are involved with death. Satan, all of his demons, death will be conquered. They'll be cast in the lake of fire. Even now, he's preparing a place for us in the new heaven and the new earth. He is preparing for all things. He's reconciling all things right now. He's working. He's not slumbering. He's not sleeping. Everything, good, bad, and indifferent, is being reconciled to God through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so he will have preeminence in all things, supremacy in all things. And you go, well, why is that so special? Okay, yeah, he's preparing everyone to bow down to him. What's so incredible about this? Listen, get this. We are full of people in this room who have challenges and struggles in our life. Like, like there are some of you right now that you have a bondage or a stronghold in your life. And hey, listen, you're lying to everybody else and you're telling everybody that it's really not a problem, but it's a problem. It just is, okay? There are some of you that you have broken relationships and like things just are not right in your family. Like some of you have a son that's estranged and will not talk to you. Some of you have a daughter that's gone. There are some of you that it's your father that you're not talking to and like things are broken. Some of you, you feel like parenting-wise, you're a failure. Some of you right now, you're hanging on like literally by the thread for your marriage and you're like, it just can't be reconciled. There's way too much that's gone wrong. There are some of you that you're not really excited about your workplace. You're not really excited about what's happening and in the area or whatever, and you would just look at your life and you would just have discontentment and you just go, it's just not right, it's all broken. And while that's true, here's the hope of the believer. Like, here's what I want you to understand. Do you believe in a God who used his son to create all things in six days? And so let me explain something. Is your problem more significant than even one day that God could accomplish in creation? Like, like, like pick the easiest day of creation. Like the easiest one. I mean, what, what was that, Adam and Eve? I mean, honestly, breathing into a ball of dust? Is that the easiest? Can he not take what you're dealing with and accomplish something in one moment like he did in creation? 
that's spectacular? Yes? Are you with me? My goodness, this is incredible news. You mean to tell me that I should keep praying for my son or my daughter who, who wants nothing to do with this new thing that's way, just growing up inside of my life? Like you mean, like my wife can't understand me because I once was a freaking loser over here and now I'm sold out for the gospel and she looks at me like I'm some weird dude? Yes, I say press on. Why? Because God can take and reconcile her and bring her to the point in your marriage where you and her are walking stride and stride. And so you go, should I give up? Absolutely not. You shouldn't give up because God can accomplish something in one day of creation. What can he do in your life? Everything, your biggest problem, your biggest struggle, the biggest thing happening in your life that seems like chaos and it's all torn apart and no one seems to be on the right page, God can reconcile. And it's nothing for him. He's the same God that turned water into wine. He's the same God that caused the Israelites and their bondage to walk across the Red Sea and it parted. And you may be going, well, Brandon, come on now. I'm like, do you really believe in that stuff? Like, like, you really believe, like, this virgin birth, really? Like, you really believe that? Like, you really believe that the Israelites walk across the Red Sea? Like, you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a well? Like, come on. Like, this is some clever stories. Well, you tell me, what's more significant? That Jesus died and he rose again from the grave? Or that some stupid well rose up and swallowed a guy named Jonah? And so you have to choose and pick and believe. But here's what I believe. I believe wholeheartedly the God of creation spoke all of it into being in six days. And it pleased God in his son that not only did he do that, he could do anything he wants. If he can resurrect on the third day, overcome death, the sting of death, the penalty of sin for you and I, can a, can a well swallow some dude? Absolutely. No problem. And so if, if the Israelites can pass to, to the promised land by way of the Red Sea, if Jonah could be swallowed by a well, if Jesus could overcome the sting of sin and death and struggle of victory that you and I need because of our sin, and he can do it in the person, the work of Jesus Christ, if Jesus can turn water into wine, let me explain something to you. He's got your biggest struggle. He's got it. You go, well, does that mean that it's all going to work out? It may not work out the way that you want it to, but I'll promise you this. He says all things work out for my glory. And so what is he meaning? What does he mean by it? He goes, hey, I got this. Press on. Keep running. I got this. I got you in the palm of my hand. I have creation in my hand. And he says, I've reconciled all things to myself. And then in verse 21, he says, you were once alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He goes, you were dead because of Adam. The very first Adam failed you. Yes, he was deceived. He was tempted. And him and his wife, although she was precious, they failed you miserably. And because of that, you've been wandering aimlessly in your sin. But guess what? Jesus Christ, even he overcame that. Right? And he says, and now, verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What? What kind of God does that? Honestly, what kind of God does that? You mean to tell me, that you were once dead in your sin, but through the power of Jesus Christ, he reconciled everything through his death, burial, and resurrection so that you could be, what, standing in the, in the face of Jesus Christ one day and you would be without, what, 
without spot or blemish or wrinkle or defect. So literally, he takes his righteousness and places on you, and he takes all your sin and filth. And let me tell you something. It's a mile long, right? And he goes, and I gladly put that on me. What kind of God does that? Only the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the one true God, the one who says, I am who I am. And he goes, you want to see me? Then look to my son. I am pleased to dwell in him richly in fullness. If you look at Jesus, you see me. Got me? And then what does he do? He, he says, continue on, knowing that God's got this. Continue on, run ahead. Because why? God's got this. And look what he says. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and it's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul says, I gave my life to this. I believe in it so strongly. I gave everything I have to it. And he goes, why? Because I'm continuing in my faith. And so, Here's the deal. Here's the picture. And then we're going to send you out. You ready for this? Life is hard. It is challenging. Oftentimes things don't always make sense. And we oftentimes wonder, God, what are you doing? But here's the test of the believer. Here's the test of those who are the real deal. Here's the test of who it is, is that Christ has and has secured. And here it is. You and I are running our race. Got me? And like right now, like even as I run this race, I have some people that are running with me. You got me? Like I'm running and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running and we're running together. And I look up and on, and on like lap three, I'm ready to slow down and take a drink of water. Actually, it's probably about halfway into the first lap, but we won't even talk about that. Okay, I'm in lap three and I'm like, I'm ready to slow down. And people around me, they go, hey, keep pressing on, keep pressing on, keep pressing on. We, we're running for the great cause. We're running, we're fighting the fight. Let's press on, press on, press on. And I get into lap four and I'm, I'm running and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running. And then I look up and the same people that were telling me to press on now have fallen out of the race. And I'm like, what in the world happened there? And I call them up, and I'm like, hey, dude, what in the world's happened? And they're like, well, you know what? We were running the race. We were running the race. But then, hey, life hit us, and this thing happened. And I'm like, I don't understand how a good God could allow this to happen in my life. And I cannot believe in a God that would allow that to happen. And I'm like, wait a second. You have, what? You have fallen out of the race? Like, we're, you're done? Yeah, I'm done. I, I'm not going to put my faith in a God that would do that. And by the way, I didn't really believe in that virgin birth in the first place. What? You were the one spurring me on. I'm confused. I'm super confused. And you keep running. You keep running. You're on lap six. And then you look up to your left. And, and there's one other group that's gone. You're like, what in the world? Like, I feel like I'm running alone. And then all of a sudden, somebody else crops up. And they're like, no, no, no. Keep pressing on. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your salvation, Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you feel like you're alone in this. But I feel like this is ministry in general. I'm like, I think we're doing well. We're really running the race. Seems like we're all focused. And then you look up and you're like, Wait a second, what happened to them? Oh my gosh, did like, something just creep up and bite them? And Paul says, so fantastically, he goes, no, 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 press on, keep running your race. And then James says it to the half-brother of Jesus. He says it in this way in chapter 1, listen to this, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finishes works that you would be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Do What? You mean that God is working in every hardship, every trial, every time that you feel like you're famine or that you're naked or that you face peril or sword? Isn't that what Paul said? Yes, I believe that God keeps working. I believe that he is chief supreme. He is the creator of all things. 
He spoke it all into being in six days, rested on the seventh. He is the reconciler and the recreator of all things. Why? Because he created everything in the first place. And so recreating something that he created in the first place is no problem to him. Period. It's not even a challenge. And he does all this so that all things are held together in him so that you and I could, what, keep pressing on. Why? Not in of our own strength or our own power, but what? In his, that he's reconciled all things. And even now he's working all things together for his good, for his glory, for whose good? His good. It's not all about you, my friends. The greatest dilemma in the church. You think it's all about you. It's not. But praise God, the master redeemer invited you into his story and says, I can work in your life. I can use your life. I can use what's been broken. I can use your hurts, your habits, your hangups, all the things that you want to keep over here in the dark. He goes, no, bring them out. Allow Christ to put light on them, to heal them, redeem them, reconcile them, and then keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Why? Because he's got this. He's got it. And so your biggest challenge, he says, I've Got it. And so what is the reality of the believer? Your continuance towards the gospel is the greatest, the greatest revealer of not only truth, but the evidence that God is what working in you. Because even though what the, the road is long and it's hard, Paul says, no, you keep boxing and you keep striking and you don't throw a blow to hit aimlessly he says you keep running because what you set your goal on the course of the end of the race and you run and you run and you don't grow faint and you don't grow weary you keep pressing on and I know there's many of you that in your life in your marriage in your finances in so many areas of your life you're tired you're weary you're ready to throw in the towel you're ready to give up you're like I can't do this but listen you're right but God can and so in essence, God, what, can and you can't, right? But if he can do all the things in creation, then, hey, he can do all the things in your life in terms of recreating. So you take, you take your biggest challenge and you just present it faithfully to the Lord day in and day out. Knock, seek, find. Keep bringing it before him. Keep saying, Lord, and hey, look, you go, well, it's just not going away. Oh, hey, amp up your game. Amp up your game. Hey, quit telling me God won't answer your prayer. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time you gave up something? You just kept coming before his throne. Yeah, your casual prayers aren't going to happen. It. Ramp up your game. Press on. Keep running. Got me? I feel like we need to bring out the band. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> hey, let's do that. Let's bring out the band and let's close this thing. But look, press on. Don't grow weary. Why? Because Paul says he is chief supreme in all things. He holds all things together. All things are in his hand. Don't give up. Keep running. Keep running. Keep running. Got me? Got me? Keep running. Keep running. Don't give up. Why? Hold fast. That is the assurance of the believer. That is why you and I get up. Is because we believe that just as the sun rose and it will set... Just as the moon comes up and the stars will shine, Christ has all of that in his hands. He can create and recreate in an instant. Got me? That's the hope of the believers, the hope of our church. Praise God for that. Let's pray, and the band will come and send us out. Amen? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you that although we were once alienated and estranged from God, we were enemies. 
Lord, you have brought everything back into its proper place through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once what was blameless and impure, Lord, you have brought before you and you've made it blameless and pure from from our brokenness into repentance and forgiveness. We now stand before you, not in our own merit, but because you have given us through the blood of the cross a life without blemish and free from accusation. Like one day we're going to continue to stand before you and we're going to be without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or defect. And it's all because of you. It's all because of your son, Jesus Christ. You're, re- you're reconciling all things. You're redeeming creation as we speak. You're going to cast the demonic realm aside. You're going to conquer the enemy of death. And you're going to cast him into the lake of fire. You're creating the new heaven and the new earth. You're going to preside over angels. Angels will worship you. We will worship and serve alongside of you. And it's nothing for you. This is nothing for you. And so, Lord, would you encourage us to press on? Would we realize that you are the creator of all things? Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. And they're all created through you and for you. So, Lord, I pray that you would hold fast in our life, that you would move us forward in our faith, that because of the resurrected Christ, we have new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen.